Hello, and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. I release new episodes every second Monday. Please subscribe to the show wherever you like to get your podcasts. If you want to be in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can like the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook and message me over there, or you can email me at pat at soundofthemoment.com. The show will always be free to listen to and download, but if you do want to support me with the costs of production and hosting, you can make monthly or one-off donations at patreon.com slash moment. Thank you so much to those of you who are already doing that. This is episode number 45 for the 22nd of July 2019. My guest is the Argentinian saxophonist and clarinetist Natalio Suez. He recently released two new records, one with the band Antimufa and the other with his trio Native Speaker. I'll begin with a track from Native Speaker's eponymous album. This is called Mates y Termos. <laughs> Thank you. 
Saxophonist, clarinetist, composer uh, Natalio Suede is my guest today. Natalio, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting. I always begin by asking my guests to uh, give kind of a bit of a general introduction uh, to people about who you are, what you do, where you're from, that kind of general background information. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm from Argentina. I grew up there. Uh, I left the country when I was 28, so it's uh, kind of late. But I was uh, wondering how was music abroad. And uh, together with some friends, uh, one of them is still here, Marcos Bagiani mm-hmm. and Patricio Carposi was the other one. We, we were curious about uh, academic studies of jazz. no? Uh, yeah. And by that time, we didn't have something accessible for us in Buenos Aires. So we were wondering, we were 
trying to go to New York, of course, but it's uh, very difficult. And we we found out uh, this conservatorium van Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew the music of uh, Michael Moore already, and I liked it, I liked it very much. And I I found out that through the conservatorium I could meet him too, take some lessons, and then we all tried it and and made it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Patricio came back home and Marcos and I stayed here yeah. a, a bit longer than expected, actually, because mm-hmm. the idea was to do <laughs> our studies and come back. But then after the master, you know, how life is. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> the plan changes. And then what else? Well, I play, as you as you said already, um, saxophone, clarinet, a bit of bass clarinet lately. Mm-hmm. That was my last... Uh, uh, the, the last instrument I added to the family, let's say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, I've been here since then, first studying and then playing around, playing in town, meeting people, mm, developing different projects. Some of mine, sometimes playing for others, you know, like being part of the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always, I mean, I guess you've been this seems like a crazy number, but you've been here for almost 20 years now. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to make you feel old, uh, but um, I always like to ask people who have been in the scene and around for, for a certain amount of time, um, how have you perceived, before we get into more like detailed stuff about you, like how much of a change have you perceived in the scene over that time? And what... Um, do you see what what are the tendencies that you see, like the directions that it's going in? What are things that have that, that have changed over the course of your two decades in Amsterdam? Wow, yeah, it's a very long time. My God, um, um, I what I can um, tell is that I have changed. Um, so maybe also my perspective of things, um, and certainly I'm sure the scene has changed also, but. Uh, it's like this, when I came here and joined the conservatorium and I did that study, uh, it took like four years. I did the last year of the first part and then the, the master. And um, being at the conservatorium is very, it's like a bubble, you know, it's very nice, uh, a great infrastructure, great teachers. Uh, you get to know people from around the world and make projects. But all of them remain kind of inside that uh, world. Mm-hmm. Uh, now maybe it's different because I that's a, a change I see I see now that um, since it's much bigger and there is uh, much more activities, you no know, many students. Uh, so in that is a bit uncomparable to my time where it was rather small and we felt almost like a family. You know, we knew everyone and and play. No, like with, with people you know. Uh, but then when you had a project, uh, you couldn't do much more than playing at the end exam, you know, or in a session here and there. Whereas now uh, I see the possibility of playing around much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I, I discovered that other Amsterdam, let's say, uh, the second or third year I've been here. And then uh, I, I, get, I got to know the real scene, let's say. And I also we'll see that uh, the scene was a bit splitted, you know, like people like Raul van der Weyde yeah. uh, was very kind with me, like Michael Moore, um, 
and many others that belong more to the to the improvised scene. Uh, Eric Buren, uh, then later I got to know Joost Baust, uh, and and people that I I I met out of the conservatorium and also out of this uh, straight ahead jazz, let's say, scene. Mm -hmm. So I, I I saw by that time I saw this this separation no? between improvisers and more like uh, straight ahead jazz players. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm I enjoy being in both worlds. No, like I, I liked playing with um, Thomas Winter Anderson, for instance, and and made some project with him, or yeah, you know, people from both. Um, yeah. And then there was this. Kind of a gap I, I I felt there was no in comparison, for instance, with what it's going on in Argentina or uh, what it was going on by that time that the, we were really influenced by New York and all these uh, bands where they play their own music, music yeah. that can have improvisation on it, but also written out parts, uh, tune-wise uh, compositions and stuff. So I tried to to. To, yeah, to play that and I, I met some friends, uh, some colleagues that uh, were searching for the same thing like Guillermo Celano, mm -hmm. uh, Marcos, no? the guy I came with. Uh, and we were trying to, yeah, to meet people and play with people that had this uh, urge. Uh, and we did some things and, and yeah, well, that uh, changed also through the years. I start to appreciate more the improvisation uh, scene, no, uh, being attracted by only improvised yeah. uh, music. Um, and I did my, yeah, my experience with that too. But always uh, with this uh, contradictory feeling or with this, it's not contradictory, but this, um, I don't know how to say it, but the, uh, of this feeling that they 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 that like they are teams kind of and they don't interact so much sometimes you know the, yeah it's yeah. interesting that you say that because i my perspective on the amsterdam scene and obviously i've only been here for what like almost 10 years i suppose now like 8 or 9 years but my perspective was always that it it was possible to take part in all those different scenes Whereas there are places where I've been, like uh, w whether it was in Belgium or like the way I've experienced stuff that goes on in Paris, there's a sense of you're either with us or you're against us with some of these scenes uh, where it's like, well, if you're really a jazz guy, then the free improv people will not want to have anything to do with you and the opposite. And my feeling about here is there are obviously people that are dedicated to exclusively doing free improv or exclusively doing jazz thing or whatever, like the thing that's in between but that there is a certain tolerance for kind of bridging that gap if you, if that's what you want to do. Um, I don't know if that was always there or if you if that's not actually how you experienced it. Um, I think it's part of the this change I I said I experienced in myself and I that I start seeing happening in the scene. Mm -hmm. uh, precisely that. When I came, I had the feeling that it was more as you describe it it is in Paris or in other towns or in other countries, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and now uh, I see it in, in me, and I see it in, around. Like uh, there, there are people playing both, or in, in more than two uh, scenes. No, like uh, I also like playing tunes. You know, playing tango. Why not? You know. So yeah. 
through the years and with uh, with this background I have, I start to not being so um, you know so specific. When when I did the conservatorium, of course, I, of course, I was into jazz, no, because of the studies. Yeah. Uh, I had a teacher that loved traditional jazz, so well, I was studied that. So then I focus on that. I remember studying Lenny Tristano very much, and then I became like uh, obsessively into one thing, you know, and and then uh, I start to meet uh, these uh, improvised players who uh, taught me how to face other situations and how to deal with music in a different uh, atmospheres, you know, and how to yeah how to play in a different setting somehow. And I liked it that so much, you know, playing tango also is another story. And, and I like that too, uh, playing folk music. Uh, so uh, through this experience, I start to be more open in the end until I reach this uh, nowadays thing where I, yeah, I have uh, different bands playing different music. Everybody is uh, respectful to whatever you do. So I, I'm really happy uh, in that regard. And I see the scene has grown in that aspect, no? much yeah. more open. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to get to the specific projects because there's, there's a couple of albums that we should talk about that, that have been released recently. But um, I wonder what the... I don't know anything about the scene in Argentina. Um, and I always like to ask people if, if I have somebody on the show who maybe knows more about a scene that I have no, no understanding of. Um, what is the music scene like over there? Like, is it... Um, I mean, obviously you have been here for, for nearly 20 years and I guess that's for a reason. It's maybe just because this is where you had work and stuff, but like, are there opportunities for you back in Argentina? Um, what, like you seem to say that, that those scenes are, are less separate over there, but maybe it's just because things are smaller. I, I don't know. Can, can you? It's not, it's not that they, they are less separate, separated. It's simply that the scene is different there. They, they, uh, what they like the most, or, or what the majority of players uh, like the most, is to 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 create bands with their own sound. Okay, yeah. They are really into that, not playing standards or mm -hmm. not only improvised, you no, know, but making group of people, like let's say a quartet, mm -hmm. not any quartet, the quartet, you know, this. Yeah. Uh, members with names, uh, last names, that get together and develop a kind of a language or a sound and, and then they play around and they make a recording and they become a group, you know, a group, mm -hmm. a, a group that uh, goes beyond music somehow. Yeah, They like that very much. And uh, so then you, when every time I go there, I see new players and all, but um, all of them, uh, has their own projects uh, and they are very supportive, you know, like they go to see other guys' projects and they appreciate that much more than playing standards, for instance. But so is there no like commonality in aesthetics between those things? Like is there no tendencies of like, well, not to say everybody kind of sounds like this, but more like there are kind of specific figures that people draw in, like inspiration from. I always find that interesting to look at other scenes where it's like, well, to us, like for example, here, you look at the scene here and it's like, well, Misha Mengelberg is a huge hero and Han Benning is a huge hero. And yeah. if you look at, if you ask people in Paris about that, they're like, who even are those people? Well, maybe not quite that extreme, but 
they'll have their own versions of those people and that kind of defines a certain aesthetic. So is there such a thing over there or? Mm, I, I think the heroes there uh, are more, they, they belong more to the jazz history or um, yeah, maybe some new teachers. I see that, uh, for instance, Ernesto Jodos is a piano player, also a director of conservatorium there mm -hmm. and it became like, a, yeah, like a, a, a main figure, no, uh, a teacher and then someone that many new players want to follow or want to take as an example. Also some, yeah, Carlos Lastra is a tenor player that uh, was the teacher of all, almost all the saxophone players there, including me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there are some, yeah, some local musicians who started to be... Uh, um, I kind of an example for other generations but uh, I have to say that most of the time the um, the new players and, and, and the scene is uh, is somehow connected to New York for instance yeah okay yeah also because but there are some particularities some details for instance nowadays nowadays I see Tony Malaby to mention someone yeah. from the New York scene that is going to Argentina over and over again. There might be other reasons than music uh, for him to go there, uh, but the thing is, uh, the fact is that he's going often. Yeah. So that you know is already a link uh, that influenced a lot of musicians. Yeah, and sure. Influenced the scene directly, and like him, some others. I remember in the past, um, Tim Berne went a few times. Also, mm -hmm. left. His uh, print, you know, like yeah. yeah, every musician that comes or goes yeah. from New York uh, leaves something on the scene, and, and they are very enthusiastic. They are super gentle. They are they um, expect uh, they they welcome the this player, whoever he is, you know, or her or he, with arms open, and yeah. yeah that's interesting. That's not something that ever really occurred to me. Somehow, like of we, we'll, I mean. Uh, that's obviously my very Eurocentric mind, but like <laughs> we always think about the sense of like, well, yeah, Americans coming over to Europe and and the influence that New York has on the European scene. But the notion of, well, specifically, like you mentioned, Tim Byrne and, and Tony Malaby, those are quite like specific personalities and that those would become important figures to to a scene um, in South America is kind of interesting. I think. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. Mm. Anyway, I do want to move on to your actual projects because you've got two uh, CDs in front of you that, that we should be talking about. <laughs> um, uh, the first one I want to talk about is uh, the trio, Native Speaker. Um, so it's, uh, you guys just released a record that is, as far as I can tell, um, uh, self-titled. So it, it is called Native Speaker, which mm -hmm. is also the name of the band. Um, can you tell me, before we talk specifically about the record and about the, the trio itself, um, it's, it's interesting to me that, first of all, you play only saxophone on the record. Um, and the notion of the format of saxophone-based drums, um, it's a format that I know I love a lot. Um, I wonder what that format means to you. Like, why specifically that that format? I like the sound of it uh, a lot too. It's uh, one of my favorites, and also playing in trio is a is a nice number. It's a nice uh, number of people, you know, to connect to, um, to be connected with, uh, mm -hmm. and, and 
arrive to an understanding somehow. It's a nice number, I think. But in this case, particularly like saxophone, double bass and drums, um, yeah, I have some recordings in mind that uh, I like uh, a lot, like from Coltrane, uh, trios, uh, somewhere there in the quartet uh, CDs, there is one piece, you know, or two played in trio. I yeah, love yeah. that. Uh, like Slow Train Blue, for instance. Yeah. You are playing blues in trio, man. It's, it's high. It's uh, glorious. Um, yeah. Or, yeah, Sonny Rollins playing trio, no? Uh, yeah, of course. And, uh, yeah, the, the trio sound um, got to me. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it. And uh, so then... Um, I, I liked it since the very beginning, from the beginning. So, so I, I was uh, working with Rio since I'm, you know, when I, I start taking some command of the saxophone and, and, and get to know some scales and try and, and be able to play some tunes. That was my goal to play on Trio. So, yeah, that's why I'm doing now with this group. Uh, simply that now uh, we play originals and, and yeah, with these guys, you know, Tristan is a monster. Mm -hmm. He plays drums like uh, no one else and uh, uh, it's so unique that this, uh, he transformed the music, you know, every time we play this something else. Matt is a fantastic dr bass drum, bass player too and yeah. uh, very solid and, and each of us has some qualities that gathering together in the trio sound good to me. Yeah, sure. And so how much of the how much of the sound of the trio is collaborative? Because most of the music is yours, as far as I can tell. Um, and obviously it's hard to say, well, there's three people playing the music and it's my music, you know, but at the same time, that is a thing that tends to happen. Um, that's not necessarily how it sounds to me, but c can you tell me a bit about, like, what the, like, how much... How much do you define the music by your compositions, um, and how open are you to the the input that you get? Yeah, it's hard to say um, because one can talk about that afterwards. Uh, when I bring a tune, a new composition, I have like a, some no, uh, music written out and some concept and some ideas, but then how we interpret that and how it end up being, it can be really far away from my original idea and I can still like it. So it's hard to say, as I say. Um, so, but I would say like, I bring compositions with an open mind, you know, like um, sometimes I might have a, a clear rhythm in mind that I sing or tell to Tristan. But as I said before, Tristan is so... Tristan, you know that. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty unpredictable. <laughs> exactly. In, and, and that's why we love him, I think. Right, uh, right. So um, uh, once you know that and you are open for that, you enjoy his playing a lot mm -hmm. and you appreciate his uh, his um, contributions, no? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So in that regard, I can also say we are all composers, you know? Like, yeah, I brought the tunes and forms and ideas, but then... Uh, they got transformed somehow by our playing together mm -hmm. and they end up being 
the, the yeah. last tunes, you know, the tunes we have on the CD. Yeah. But that's not what I wrote at the beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's close by the original idea. Some other times it's far away from it. Yeah. I do want to, like, from what I read, um, as far as I can tell, like, all of the music um, on this record is not only, um, like, inspired by other music, but there is also like extra musical sources of inspiration and specific extra musical sources of inspiration. Um, I wonder how that actually translates into your um, into your compositional process. Like how, how much of that is just getting into a particular state of mind that is influenced by whatever the topic is and how much of it is like practical stuff. Maybe you can also just like, Name some examples of like the sources of inspiration and why those things are inspiring. To you. <laughs> yeah, some some are, are rather abstract, no? Like uh, yeah, as you said, like a, a state of mind. Some others are more more e like easier to describe the, the, the not where the connotation is to to a certain subject. For instance, I see now Coyoacan. Coyoacan, um, I remember uh, I met uh, this guy Tavo Nandayapa. He's a drummer from Mexico, mm -hmm. uh, and I met him here because he also did the conservatorium. Uh, but we had the chance to play together last year and the year before um, in Mexico, also in the United States, yeah. with another friend of us. And well, the thing is, being with him, I got to know a few of his tunes, and he's very calm also, and, and he lives in Coyoacán, and then this this name, uh, Coyoacan, this word uh, kind of got to me. I, I really liked it and I started to play with it. So I became with a melody that has something to do with the, with, an, with one of his tunes. Um, rhythmically speaking, it has some connotation there. And also mm -hmm. the word Coyoacan, no? because the, the melody was like... So I say... Coyacan, 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 Coyacan. Yeah. And like, not the, the rhythm of a word, uh, the same with uh, in two words, for instance. It's two. Two notes, no, with the mm -hmm. given rhythm that gave the, the form to the whole tune out of these two words, or in this case, two notes. Yeah. Um, and there are others that are Ana Maria Cucu, you know, is this uh, game, children game, Dutch children game, uh, where one child might count against the wall and the others are waiting uh, behind him, trying to get him when he stops counting and, and moves towards them, facing them. They have to remain still. If someone moves, it's out of the game. Yeah. So this type of... Uh, Mm -hmm. I put that in, you know that game into music. Sometimes it's hard to explain. No, yeah. it might take a bit of a time. Yeah, but some other times it's simply an inspiration. Uh, Ornette Coleman yeah. is a composer I love, and he's so unique that if I do a melody uh, that I like a lot, it's most of the time <laughs> connected to his music. So why yeah. not admitting it? You know, like so there is a tune here named Ornette yeah. because it really sounds like him. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Mates y Termos. Um, referring to the the drink mate, no, a drink that I drink almost every day, mm -hmm. uh, Argentina, Uruguayan, South Brazilian drink. Yeah. Uh, but also Thermos is where we put the hot water, and and also is the last name of uh, Paul Thermos, 
who is a, a great uh, saxophonist and or uh, composer, or he was, he passed away. But uh, being with um, uh, Raúl van der Weide and, and Hus Janssen and Bim Janssen, I, I, I got to uh, know his music and his compositions. And it were very, they were very good. They were very, I don't know, super defined and, and personal. And, and they have this, uh, always this clear statement kind of, um, also Oscar Jan Hovland introduced me to to one of his CDs um, and I, li- I really dig into that music and, and used some elements. So some of the names come from influence like that, no? where you can point out who yeah. and some other tunes are more, yeah, in um, a state of mind like Lila, for instance, is the name of my daughter. And uh, yeah, so... But so what, like, in practice, I, I, I'm interested in what the process is like, because um, is it like you gather those kind of external sources of inspiration as like you notice a thing and you're like, oh, that's something that I should write music about? Or is it in the moment of sitting, I mean, I, I don't know, like do you, whether you write at the piano or whether you're writing just with sheet music in front of you or whether it's sitting with a saxophone, I don't know, but like... In practice, are you like gathering, are you taking notes uh, throughout your daily life about, okay, well, this, these are things that I should like use or? Uh, sometimes I do. Uh, um, yeah, there are certain tunes where the inspiration or, or this element that is out of the music comes first. Yeah. Like, uh, for instance, in two words, I remember I wanted to make a tune came out of two notes, you know, to, or with Koyakan, for instance, I did the same, you know, with the rhythm, Koyakan, yeah. the, the rhythm of the word. But some others came afterwards, you know, I didn't uh, want to write in the, in the Ornette Coleman kind of tune. I simply was playing probably, I don't remember now if it started with the saxophone, probably, yes, because it's in E for me. I never play on F sharp on the piano, so, yeah. eh, sorry, in D <laughs> major. So it's, it's uh, certainly in the, saxophone that I played this uh, phrase that probably yeah. came out of listening to Ornette, but it was not my first idea. You know, I simply got to compose this tune and afterwards saw the influence. So why not yeah. pay tribute to that and name it honestly Ornette? <laughs> yeah, no, fair <laughs> um, enough. Yeah, so it really depends. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the... Ah, by the way, sorry, French accent I see here. That comes out of playing with uh, Tancred, a friend of ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually, uh, is yeah, he was inspired by the the experience we both had playing with him <laughs> at his group. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's a thing that should be mentioned. We we have uh, we've played a bunch together actually. Um, but so uh, I do want to talk about. Uh, I mean, I mentioned it in passing, obviously, which is that you play exclusively tenor saxophone in this group. Um, is that is that like a decision that you made up front of like this is my this is like a saxophone trio and therefore the clarinet doesn't have place here? Um, is it just naturally that that is what feels the like uh, like the voice that belongs in this music or like and I, I I guess the maybe the more global question is what is your kind of relationship to the different instruments that you that you play? Yeah. And there is a bit of 
of everything you just said <laughs> mm. uh, on the final decision to play only tenor. Um, because this is a, a, this trio thing is in my mind for, for quite some time. And I tried different settings before this one. Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, musicians, mm -hmm. always with this double bass and drums. I I first tried with um, with Mark Kuhorn, for instance, and mm -hmm. uh, Adam Misrahi. We played for some time together, some modern repertoire, but with this uh, sound in mind. Yeah. And there I tried clarinet also with the Portuguese uh, players, uh, Demian Cabot and Luis Candeias. Okay. Uh, both no no Luis was a, also um, a student of the conservatorium he went back to Portugal after finishing and Demian is an Argentinian bass player living in in Porto mm -hmm. um, so we once had the chance to play together in Lisbon and we we tried the, the sound and, and there somehow I tried the clarinet and worked uh, pretty well but um, when you play with With, with this idea of instrumentation in mind, not double bass and drums, is one thing. But then playing with musicians like these two, uh, then is something different. You, you realize that it's not only about instrumentation, but about uh, the person, you know. And playing with Tristan is so demanding somehow. It has to, you have to be so alert that uh, the only way I could feel comfortable dealing with that is with the saxophone that is my main instrument yeah okay. i do play clarinet but not you know i i don't feel like my main thing i you know uh, i love playing clarinet and, and, and sometimes it's nice but you need a certain certain things you know uh, yeah in terms of volume also um yeah in terms of functionality you have to be uh, yeah I don't know how to say that. You had to count on certain things to happen in order to feel comfortable playing clarinet. And with this band, I only feel at home playing tenor. Yeah. 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 No, and I guess like juggling the two is, uh, I mean, I know from experience from playing with you is like that you will have to, if you are juggling the two instruments, you're going to want to build your set around to like what you're doing and not be like switching instruments every half a tune. Right. Um, which makes total sense. Um, can you speak to your relationship to the clarinet specifically? Um, I mean, we will uh, we'll talk about the other record that that you you've got in front of you in a minute, which I think features um, more clarinet. But so, how like was the clarinet something that came into your life when you um, when you studied here? Was it like something that you were already experienced with earlier? Like how how has that gone? Yeah, it. Um... I got to play clarinet very late, I would say. After many years of playing saxophone, um, I got this CD, uh, 13 Ways, of Michael Moore, playing with uh, Hemingway on drums yeah. and Fred Hirsch on piano, mm -hmm. um, where he plays alto saxophone and clarinet. And that was revealing, man. Wow, the way he plays clarinet, well, uh, it's the way he usually plays. Yeah. But for, for me, it was uh, you know, the first time I hear uh, this way of playing um, and this sound, you know, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, pure beauty. And, and, and at the same time, very personal. Um, 
and I was, uh, yeah, I, I, I really wanted to, to do something with the clarinet. So I started playing it um, little by little, get to know it more. But the mechanism is uh, very different. There are some similarities, okay, but it's, uh, there are some difficult parts, I would say, yeah. that where you, it's more common to find people that play saxophone after playing clarinet, you know, yeah. and, and cope with the two instruments very well. But it's not so common to see this case, you no? Know, like yeah, my, the other way around. Yeah, the way around is much more difficult. And I have to admit, even nowadays, I don't, I don't feel as comfortable as uh, playing saxophone when I play clarinet. It's a bit, uh, but I, what I like is um, you have, it's a bit more limited. I mean, my mind has to go s slightly slower with the clarinet, mm. but that makes you play different. Yeah. And I got that from, I noticed myself and some colleagues told me that, that yeah. when I, they hear to me playing clarinet or bass clarinet, they they hear another you know way of playing somehow, yeah. which is nice. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I do I do want to like underline, I feel like you are selling yourself a bit short. Like <laughs> I do think that your clarinet playing is beautiful and and, um, and as, as much as you may like feel more comfortable on the saxophone, I think people should not sleep on your clarinet playing. <laughs> Um, the other thing that should be mentioned about this record before we move on is is that you have a guest and um, uh, his name has come up already, um, Guillermo Solano on guitar. Uh, can you tell me about um, why why you you decided to bring in a guest specifically? Why him? I mean, I know that you guys have have history together and stuff. Um, and how does that how does that work? I'm always interested in that notion of a working band, which is a trio, and like you say, you know, it's three specific people, and there's and the music is defined by those three specific people, and then you bring in an alien element like that. Um, how does that work? Does that change the dynamic um, in particularly interesting ways? Um, how? Yeah, yeah, man, it was a very, it was a very. Um, transforming I would say when we tried it was my idea uh, to bring a guest although we were uh, discussing this uh, in the past mm -hmm. um, just for the sake of trying you know just to open up a bit this trio sound yeah. um, but we never tried so uh, I I had some tunes where I where I heard some harmonies, some some part of the of the music that we couldn't play, like um, so instead of of leave, leaving those tunes out of the repertoire, I said why not trying it with some someone else. Mm -hmm. um, for some time we also thought about inviting like a, another reed player or a wind player, mm. but then uh, with this tune in mind, in uh, with these tunes in mind, I. I Specifically, thought about Guillermo because he's a, a great um, guitar player, very personal. I I find it and, and super inspiring. And, and we have a duo together. We were playing uh, before this uh, recording date. We were playing in duo for some time. We even recorded um, what is hopefully going to be a CD uh, 
playing music of ours yeah. in these duo settings. We also play in this other recording, you know, with this other group, Antimufa. Yeah. We play together in a quartet um, or quintet. Mm -hmm. So I know him very well as a musician. Uh, we are companions you know, for so many years now that it felt almost natural to invite him. The thing is when we invited him, we played these quarter tunes and it sounded revealing. You know, We were mm. like, wow, man, it was so nice. Um, it was very tempting to expand, you know, to to, to just quarter. be a quartet. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, we were stubborn enough <laughs> to, <laughs> to keep it as a trio. So now we have this uh, duality, you know, these these uh, two possibilities. Yeah, we can sound as a trio with a certain aesthetics and also in, in a quartet. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um. I feel like that's maybe a good bridge to move on to to the other record, which is uh, uh, with a project called Anti Mufa. Uh, can you tell me a bit about the that band? I mean, it's it's very different um, from what we've just talked about, but at the same time, there is some common elements. Uh, yeah, can you totally. can you tell me? Um, yeah, the main difference I would say is uh, the the aesthetics were 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 because. The, the group actually got together out of friendship more than anything else, or even nationality, I would say, because we are for It's a very Argentinian yeah. band, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the only tango guy in the band is Adan, the bass player. Yeah. All the rest, Marcos, Guillermo and I, we can play tango, okay, I mean, we like tango and all, but we don't, we, we, can, we, we don't come from there. Yeah. We have another background, so um, we got together and, and and we we played some some music and somehow this idea of playing Argentinian music started uh, to to be kind of a game, you know. Like uh, many 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 times, people will will say like, "Ah, you're Argentina, so I'm, I guess you play tango, right? Or or you you know folk music from Argentina? Can you play?" A tango, you know, Carlos Gardel, the thing of uh, putting you know, people in a box, you know, you're yeah, Argentina, sure. you play tango. So we were so tired of it that mm -hmm. we wanted to to have an answer to that. And, and, and when asked about playing a tango, say, yes, we can play tango. You know? so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we finally got together and played some tango with drums, which is not uh, common. Yeah. And I think uh, Marcos does a great job there, very unique also. Um, and yeah, that's the way we started. So we started uh, with uh, standards from the tango and folk music repertoire, uh, and we give them a more personal treatment. But I have to say, at the very beginning, wasn't that much of that. Then started to write uh, some arrangements, uh, try things out, etc. Until we reached a moment where we felt like mm, playing only well-known compositions was uh, not enough or at least is what I felt mm -hmm. and I then I, I composed uh, a whole new repertoire yeah. and recorded it yeah. asked them what they thought they liked it they liked the idea and in, it ended up being this new album yeah um, so you say that you like your background is not in tango and um I'm. I wonder. Well, like, what was the process for you with like actually exploring that music? 
um, is was there a bunch of research that you then went into to um, to kind of immerse yourself a bit more in that stuff, or was it just through years of playing with the guys that you came to kind of a, a general understanding of the aesthetic? Because like going from I don't have a tango background to I wrote a bunch of music kind of using that stuff. Like how the how well versed are you now versus the way the way you were initially? The thing is, you start to realize you you end up realizing that you were exposed to tango much more than what you thought. Yeah. So even though I can even say that I didn't like tango at all mm -hmm. uh, when I was in Argentina and tango was on the radio, tango was at Peñas, at uh, parties I might attend, you know, yeah. and then there was a tango duo, a tango singer, a tango dance, uh, you know, tango, tango is everywhere, man. <laughs> uh, and you keep uh, avoiding or you know, postponing this meeting with tango because you feel so much as a cliche and you are a jazz player. What the hell have to do with tango? Come on. Yeah. Uh, so being here, I don't know if it's a thing of uh, getting older, being abroad, it's very nostalgic also, no? Tango in itself is a kind of nostalgic music. All the lyrics are kind of even funny sometimes, you know? so much extreme yeah. into that. Mm -hmm. uh, always lost of woman, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, lost of, uh, yeah, country, uh, being old and coming back, all this, you know, this uh, suffering. Yeah. Um, maybe it was that. I don't know what it was, but uh, playing with this uh, group and also with some others uh, where I play tango, I I noticed that I, you know, that I, that I knew some tunes yeah. I never checked mm -hmm. that I knew some aesthetics you know or some some tricks let's say I don't some some tendencies some figures some yeah. nouns that I didn't know I knew yeah so uh, when you look at that uh, in this other perspective no when you pay attention to that and and respect that uh, thing more uh you start to, yeah, um, you you have memories, no? I have memories of uh, Goyeneche singing and and then you realize that you liked it, you denied liking it because it was cool to do, you know, the, this type of thing. Yeah, it's also if you're, exposed to, if you're exposed to something at a specific time of your life, then you will only have one of two reactions, which is like fully embracing it or fully rejecting it, right? And it makes sense to me that... Um, that you might want to reject uh, whatever is kind of expected of you. And also if you are looking to like, uh, like I assume if you're looking to New York for inspiration for your music, then there's probably a sense of like, well, I don't want to be like uh, boxed into where I come from. I want to exactly like reach for the, the outer world. Right. Stuff. Right. But since with this group, we decided to be in the box people yeah. want us to be. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it helped us. I think we all, got something out of it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, actually this music was also inspired inspired on, on that uh, kind of aesthetic, no? like tango, folk music, but also uh, by my cousin, uh, Martin, who plays bandoneon in a few of these songs. Yeah. Um, and he was also uh, a, a huge inspiration for me because I, 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 he's the son of the brother of my father. So... Um, we spent a lot of time together when we were young, let's say, uh, 
But then there was this huge gap uh, in our life where we never met again. Kind of, we, we lost contact completely and we <clears throat> met again not so long ago, like uh, four or five years ago. And since then, um, start to get into each other more. No, What was the other one doing? I was more like the jazz cousin. He was more the tango, <laughs> bandonian player, no? Yeah. And this was, the differences were uh, growing less and less until we uh, kind of, uh, yeah, played together in a duo situation. Uh, we played in a festival in, in Herlein, Tango Brutal, mm -hmm. a few seasons ago. Um, and uh, it was uh, very nice to play with him. And then I got to know his music. He also has a band, a, a quartet, no, a quintet, sorry, Tata Dios, where he plays his music. Um, and yeah, having him in mind uh, was another source of inspiration for writing, for composing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm very glad about the outcome of the music. I wonder how, like... Um in his case, like approaching the music that you're making from the like tango end of the spectrum, um, I, it, it brings to mind I, like how much of a kind of and and maybe this is not the best word to express it, to express this, but how much of a kind of bastardization of tango is there? Like how much how much has like modern tango like soaked up? music from all over the place and how how like open to that is tango or is it still something that's kind of very traditional and I can imagine that there might be different sides to that thing but I guess like I think to for example talking with with Bobby Petrov a lot about like traditional uh, music in the Balkans that like there's kind of a, a notion of well the 80s brought in things to this music that wasn't there before and therefore like maybe we preferred it before or that kind of um that kind of stuff like how how i suppose the question is how similar is like modern tango to the way it might have been before and, and is that something that you are aware of in in that sense yeah it's hard to say because even modern tango sounds a bit uh, contradictory contradictory <laughs> yeah i i don't know if that's the right way to call it um because tango is uh, very defined and uh, it became classic. You know, it has some characteristics that are tango, you know, like make tango into what tango is. And uh, this um, music might have some elements of that, but uh, if you make them, make it, uh, if you play it for, for a tango lover, uh, he or she might say that this is not tango, you know? Yeah, uh, sure. Something similar happens with jazz also. It, it didn't get so wide, so so yeah, so open with tango because it's a. Um, I think since Piazzolla and, and, and other composers, it, it got more open and open. Uh, but nowadays, uh, there are many uh, contemporary composers that use uh, the tango element in their compositions. Um, so that's something relatively new. So it didn't grow up. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, the analogy with jazz is not good. So yeah, yeah, sure. It remained more traditional. You know, like mm -hmm. we have tango, and we have new composers who use yeah tango elements. 
Yeah. But I, I don't think there is such a thing as modern tango. I don't know. Or maybe there is and I don't know it because I hear some tango, like classic tangos on top of a bass and drum, drum and bass, sorry, and, and, and you know, this hip hop uh, tango. Okay, yeah. How? But that's more sample culture than yeah. anything else, right? Just right. the same way as you will hear jazz stuff being sampled in 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 hip hop or or indeed like um dare I say it kind of loungy stuff. I feel like there's um the bandonian as a sampled instrument in lounge music is sadly kind of a fairly common uh thing to hear. Um I wonder how um so obviously you can't talk about tango without talking about dance. And I wonder, I feel like there is, uh, and maybe this is a wrong notion of mine, but I feel like there is a sense of danceability throughout a lot of your music. Um, is that something that you're consciously aware of? Is it something that is just, just comes naturally to you that, that there is a sense of danceability, even in, in, in the native speaker stuff? I feel like there is, uh, there is something about that. Is that a fair thing to... Thanks, man. It sounds like a compliment to me. <laughs> I, it is. I think it is. But um. I, I never thought about that uh, before, uh, honestly. Uh, so I don't know where it comes from. Uh, definitely, I, I don't think about that in advance. So I guess it's natural. Um, but it's an element I like. Um, I really like uh, danceable music. Uh, or music that makes you move somehow. Yeah. yeah, because I, I mean, I also hear like rock influences in yeah. some of the stuff and all that kind of. So it, it um, I guess there's also a, a common thing there, right? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, is there any other stuff that I that we haven't touched upon that that you want to mention? I mean, obviously, um, uh, people should go and check out both of those records and those projects. Is there other things that you want to mm, mention? No, maybe mm, future things coming. Coming yeah. soon, like for instance, we will play with Native Speaker at the uh, uh, Jazz uh, Fit Tour, this uh, oh, yeah, festival cool. yeah. Um, in Groningen, yeah. the 31st of August. Okay, cool. In yeah. the afternoon. Um, yeah. Um, what else? No. Sure, I mean, there, there'll be links to, to um, all relevant websites and stuff on, on, on soundamoment.com, so people can obviously go and find it there. Cool. Um, cool. Well, in that case, I always like to end the show by asking my guest for a recommendation, something you think that um, deserves some attention that people should check out that you found particularly inspiring. It can be anything that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, yeah, lately I, I was, I, I'm reading, I'm, I'm into, <laughs> you will laugh at this, but maybe not. <laughs> but I, I'm 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 being more aware uh, of uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but this uh, climate change, no, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this uh, globalization and, and and being human and the way we treat each other and the way we treat other uh, living uh, energy in in the world, you know, uh, um, and. Um, it's very, sometimes you, you wonder, you know, I, I had this, for instance, the 22nd of uh, June, last 22nd, we had this CD presentation at Beam House with yeah. these two bands. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine, not the, 
the hassle of uh, dealing with uh, details um, regarding the CDs and the night itself and rehearsals and, you know, organization. Yeah, trying to do two CD releases on one night is kind of a crazy endeavor and I, I do not envy you having tried to do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> While doing that, I, I, I had this thought like, why am I doing this? I, you know, what's the point of doing all this? <laughs> Uh, if uh, the world is going in the direction it's going so um, it's, a, it's a sad thought but uh, it's something we should all think about uh, I think and uh, no, I was reading a few, a few yeah I'm books. still waiting for a recommendation <laughs> Like right, this is just like <laughs> I recommend people feel miserable about the way the world is going <laughs> No, yeah, yeah. The recommendation is uh, simply to think about it more. Um, yeah. There are some books. Uh, now I cannot... Uh, I, I remember I read this one of uh, uh, Franzen, Jonathan Franzen, uh, named in Italian, actually. But it makes me... The, the original title is The End of the End of the World. Um, okay. But it's not... I, I have to say that uh, I, I read it and I'm, I, I don't agree with the writer, but... Uh, it costs something on me, you know, like uh, mm. even though you know how reading is, eh? you, you can read something that inspires you, but you, you can also read something that provokes you or, or to, yeah, sure. that makes you think about things differently. And this book in that regard is okay. And now I'm reading another one, uh, but I don't remember the, the title of it, uh, but it's very nice. Maybe we can... Say if, later. If you can uh, email me and yes. tell me what it is, uh, I, I can will. mention it almost immediately after this podcast. Cool, cool. Is, uh, I will. And then uh, regarding music uh, inspiration, um, I always find it uh, hard or challenge to play uh, solo saxophone. So mm -hmm. um, I really like uh, a recording um, I discovered not so long ago uh, of Ellery Eskeling live at Snacks, um, a solo album yeah. uh, that was recorded somewhere in Brooklyn. Yeah. And it's very nice uh, how he deals with time and space. Very nice. Yeah, cool. Yeah, the, the, there will be links to all those things. So um, check all of that stuff out. So nice recommendations. Uh, Natalia, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks a lot, Pat, for inviting So the book Natalia was speaking about just then is called Confessions of a Recovering Environmentalist by Paul Kingsnorth. So check that out and stick around for some more of Natalia's music in just a moment. Many thanks to my fellow members of Catrio for providing the intro and outro music. Please subscribe to the show wherever you like to get your podcasts, leave favorable reviews and star ratings wherever that may be. And tell a friend if you know anybody who might like to listen to these kinds of conversations. That really is a great way for me to spread the word about the show and give a bit of attention to the artists that I feature here. Go to patreon.com slash soundthemoment if you want to make a monthly or one-off donation to help me keep the show up and running. Even the smallest amount is really helpful. Thank you so much to those of you who already help out that way. You can reach me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can message me via the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook. And you can email me at pat at soundofthemoment.com. 
I will end the show now with a track from Anti Mufa's new album. This piece is called Lila en la Piramide. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment. Thank <laughs> you.